Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Um, as a choir is singing this morning and uh, sharing in this uh, ministry, uh, I am, I'm reminded of, of um, uh, the, the scriptures that, that, that we are told of the importance of music and uh, singing. And, uh, you know, and the Apostle Paul tells us that as we get together, we, we teach one another, we instruct one another, uh, we, we do it um, to the Lord. And we are told that uh, to make music in our hearts to the Lord with hymns, songs, and spiritual psalms. And uh, the three, there's three categories that are mentioned both in Ephesians and in uh, Philippians. And uh, in, in, or excuse me, Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And that same uh, thought is found in Ephesians as well. And you, you can, as you read that, you see the connection, teaching one another, teaching each other the words of Christ, and the fact that the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are connected with that thought. Uh, many of the Bible commentators will point out that that this music, this the worship and the singing is part of this teaching and instructing one another. And this morning, uh, we have a, a shorter uh, message time, and, uh, and yet uh, we really don't because what they are doing, what they are sharing, every song that they sing is based on Scripture. Some are verbatim uh, quotes from Scripture you'll find. Other are scriptural thoughts like this last song and a powerful message. And so this morning as our choir sings, I'm just reminded that as we gather every Sunday, first day of the week, Resurrection Day, uh, we gather to celebrate, to rejoice, to lift our voices when we sing, when our choir sing, when we listen to the music, when we share together, that, that we are rejoicing and we are singing, and, but at the same time, we are teaching one another. You'll notice in this passage, the emphasis is not on, in this particular case, a person of front teaching, but on the body of Christ teaching one another as we reflect and we sing and as we share. And I know that uh, I'm sure you, you share my uh, sentiments that music is such an important part of what we do. Can you imagine us having a service and no music? Just, just talking? You know, I mean, music is so important and it touches our soul and that's how God has created us. And so as we gather this morning... And uh, I just want to remind you that, that we are here to celebrate, to rejoice. Paul says to give thanks, to teach and admonish one another. And in this particular case, the psalms, the hymns, and the spiritual songs. And we could do a whole study on those three words. They have uh, overlapping meaning. You can't, you can't cut them real fine, but they also have some distinctive meanings. And, um, but the, the point is, when we gather to worship, this is important to what we do. 
When we gather to worship, as, as, you know, there's very little in the actual uh, New Testament that actually is directive as to how to worship. How to, how, what, what do you do when you get together? You know, the early church probably gathered in the evening because Sunday, the first day of the week, was a work day. But there's very little instruction. There's almost just sort of assumptions that when you get together, this is what's going to happen. And the assumptions in this particular case and in Ephesians, they are sort of the assumption is, and it really comes from, it really comes from the, the, our, our, our heritage in the Judeo heritage of the, the synagogue service and the Jewish worship from the Old Testament, where when they would get together, uh, even, in, even in today's situation, there's a, there's a portion of scripture in the, in the context of the synagogue. There was a portion read every day. Remember when the Lord uh, got up and read from Isaiah and then sat down and commented on it? That was the scripture for that day. And that's what they did. And they would sing together the hymns, the psalms from the book of Psalms and the Psalms of David. And throughout their various celebrations, they would sing the various psalms. They would sing together. Somebody would instruct from the word of God. They would fellowship together. They would celebrate together. And so much of what took place and has taken place ever since then is really from the pattern of the Old Testament worship that was carried on into the New Testament. And because of that, I thought it was interesting, as my, my text this morning is from Acts chapter 2, and for just a few minutes, I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, Acts, Acts 1 and 2. And we, are, uh, we have been doing a short series on the post-resurrection appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. And uh, we're going to go into the book of Acts this morning and, and to, uh, uh, to take this particular period of time. But let's pray. Father, as we open your word for these few moments, uh, we pray our hearts would be attentive to your word. Uh, Lord, that it is your words that would be heard and mine would not get in the way. And Lord, uh, we, we acknowledge that we are continuing to worship as we open your word and meditate on it and consider it. And together with the music and the sharing and the prayers, the offering, all that takes place in this service, Lord, we offer to you today as a very grateful people. We offer to you as our worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so in the book of Acts chapter 1, and just to remind you that um, Luke and Acts are a, uh, two books that go together. Um, we believe that uh, Luke was the author of both of them. We clearly know whoever wrote Luke wrote Acts because of the way it begins in, in chapter 1, verse 1 in my former book, Theophilus, and the Gospel of Luke is the same thing. It's written to Theophilus. And so uh, we believe this is uh, Dr. Luke, the, phys the physician, and uh, Dr. Luke writes this book, and, and as he begins this book, <clears throat> and we have the, the last appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. And, and he, says, he says, I've written these things to you, that, that, about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, when he lists, he lists the, 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 this order of, of appearances, and in one of the ones he lists, he says, he appeared to over 500 people at one time, in one setting, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified body, appeared to over 500 people. If you were to take this sanctuary... And you were to pack shoulder to shoulder and sit really tight 
and just cram the sanctuary, you could get 500 people, okay? So if you imagine that, that many people just you know, crammed together in here, and they saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul is really saying is, ask them. Many of them, of course, are still alive to this day. There's plenty of people. It wasn't just the 12. It wasn't just a small select group. This was no Gnostic theology of mysticism that only a select group got to see it. 500 people, and many of them were still around. Go ask them. And then he was seen by James, which would have been James the brother, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll talk about Paul's uh, revelation to him as well later in, our, in this series. But he, he showed himself. He appeared. He gave proof. And you'll notice he appeared to them over a period, I mean, uh, I mean verse 3 here, of 40 days. And he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then there is a question that comes up. I don't know if you, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, uh, you guys heard the phrase, there's an elephant in the room. You ever heard that phrase? What do I mean by that? There's an elephant in the room. Huh? What's that, Mike? Thank you. It's unspoken, but everybody knows it, right? I mean, in fact, wonderful thing about the internet today, you can look up the history of all where these came from. There's all sorts of theories where this came from. But uh, it's even in legal briefs. Um, uh, one of the famous lines sim that kind of, you know, the, the movie where Jimmy Durante, I think it's called Jumbo or something, and he's, he's, he's walking with an elephant, and the police officer stops him and says, hey, hey, buddy, what, what are you doing with that elephant? And Jimmy Durante says, what elephant? You know, he's like, what elephant are you talking about? This idea that, that it's obvious. There's a, if there was an elephant in this room, we would all see it, but who wants to be the one to bring it up and uh, bring up the obvious? And uh, sometimes maybe it's a painful obvious. Uh, other times you don't, want to be, you don't want to be the one that looks stupid to say, you know, everybody else obviously knows the elephant's there. Well, this question, this, this, this is to me kind of the elephant in the room. Jesus has been with them 40, for 40 days. He's been with them over a month. It's getting time. He's going to leave them. Think of what these disciples have been through. Think of what they have seen. Think of the journey from being, uh, hey, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. To, to, to watching uh, the crowds come and the thousands of people. To see the celebration in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. To, to assume, to hear him preach about the kingdom of God. And to assume that that yes, he is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the one that, that we were looking for. He is going to bring in this kingdom. He is finally going to deliver us from our enemies. It's written all over the Gospels. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. It's what every Jew was looking for. Every Jew in Palestine especially was longing for that day. And he's here. He's with, we are his disciples. We are working with him. He has promised us we will sit on the 12 thrones of the tribes of Israel in the glorious kingdom. And then he's killed. He dies. And they see him die. And some of his disciples that were not part of the 12, but, but Nicodemus, the secret disciples, and Joseph of Arimathea, they handle his dead body. They know he's dead. And they put him in the tomb. And then against all possible expectations on their part, he's alive. He's alive. And so the, the, the elephant in the room, he, it hasn't been addressed. And, and finally, they ask him, 
In verse 6, when they met together, they asked him, and maybe Peter is the spokesman, is the one that brought the question forward. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's almost, it's almost a rhetorical question. You could almost say, Lord, you are going to... Re I mean, what else would they expect? What, what else could possibly be on their mind? I mean, it is the most natural, obvious question that has to be asked. Now, now, finally, okay, we didn't understand it, but now we understand. You've taught us for 40 days about why you had to die and the prophecies from the old. We understand it. So now, right? And the Lord's answer, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. I told you to wait in Jerusalem You'll receive power on high. And in verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. And they, they were standing there looking, verse 10, and they were looking intently into the sky to, to see. He, they watched him and he disappeared. And they're not going to see him anymore. They're not going to see him anymore. They're on their own. He's gone. And I don't know if they're watching to see if he, if he goes up to heaven and returns with the, with the prophesied armies that are going to come, that the legions of angelic hosts to finally put an end to the sinfulness and misery and the, and, the, and the darkness and to bring the glorious kingdom of God. If they're looking to see, he went back to get the armies and come back again, but they're just fixed, they're stuck, they're standing there gazing into heaven and the angel comes alongside, verse 11, two angels, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And these guys, they're on their own. They go back to work. And they get together and they meet and they choose a new disciple. And, and, and it's a time of expectation, a time of, of joy and expectation and, and wondering what is next. And we come to chapter 2, verse 1. I don't know if you happen to look at your calendars today. Not every calendar is going to point this out, but some of your calendars are going to point out that today, June 8th, is, is Pentecost Sunday. I don't know if you knew that or not. This is, this is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we don't do as much liturgical things at our church, so we don't you know, celebrate it in the way a lot of churches do. But today is Pentecost Sunday. This is the day of Pentecost. According to our calendar, according to the Jewish calendar, it was earlier because we're, ours is solar and, and the Jewish calendar is lunar, but this is Pentecost Sunday. But, but so it's on this day, on the day of Pentecost, in chapter 2, verse 1, when they all came together in one place, that is the, the disciples all came together, and I, don't, and I don't know if it's just the 12, but it certainly is the 12, there's a larger group of, of disciples as well, the next ring of disciples, they all came together. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And it wasn't, it wasn't angelic tongues or, or unknown. These were human languages that they shouldn't have known. And they all began at once to speak. And they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And they heard this sound, and a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were utterly amazed. They said, aren't these men Galileans? They're not even schooled, and they haven't been to graduate school in linguistics. What is going on here? 
These, they, this just shouldn't be happening. And then it lists all the nations. You can see there in verse 8, all the nations through verse uh, 10 uh, and 11 that they came from. And that's because the, the context is that Jews in those days, they did not have a common conversational tongue. Hebrew was not a conversational tongue. It was the synagogue tongue. If some of you have Catholic background, at least in the older Catholic services, where Latin was the church tongue. You didn't speak Latin at home, but that's what was spoken in church. That's what Hebrew is. Hebrew is the synagogue tongue, even up until modern times. So the state of Israel was, uh, to the Zionist movement in the last century, the early, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, modern Hebrew was basically invented. And my father was Jewish, and uh, he spoke, they spoke at home Ladino. It was their tongue of a mix of Spanish and Hebrew because they were Sephardic Jews. Ashkenazi Jews spoke Yiddish. And in the first century, they came together. They didn't talk Hebrew to one another. That was a synagogue tongue. They spoke the language from where they came. And then they're all there around there. And all of a sudden, these disciples are all preaching all at the same time. I'm, a, I'm kind of assuming they're all saying the same thing. Whatever God has, put on, has given them to say, I assume it has something to do with the gospel or the prophecies of the Lord. And that person says, hey, that's, that's my language. Wait a minute, that's my language. That's my language. That's my language. And this is miracle. And say, what is going on that these, these men could do this? And, and there's this bewilderment. And, and, and to the point that he says, some, verse 13, said they were, they were drunk. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense, you know, that they're drunk so they can do this, you know. Then Peter stands up in verse 14, and he preaches the gospel. He preaches the gospel of the kingdom that these men were preaching that God has given them that, listen, this is what was prophesied in the Old Testament. And he goes on to, and, and look at verse, let's look at verse 17. As he says, this is what, listen, what you are seeing is fulfillment of the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel, and he, he, he quotes almost verbatim from, from Joel chapter 2. In the last, the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And don't forget the second part. And I will show wonders in the heaven above. Signs on the earth below. Blood. Now this, you tell me, does this sound good or does this sound bad? Blood. Fire billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming and great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen. Jesus of Nazareth, the man was accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. By nailing him to the cross, we're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about the long-expected Messiah. And he says, you killed him, along with the Romans. It was God's will, but you killed him. But God raised him from the dead. And I'll ask you to take time to read the rest of, of Peter's speech in Acts chapter 2. Go into Acts chapter 3, and you'll see that Peter offers him an opportunity. You, you killed him, but God will send him back. And in chapter 3, he says, he will send the times of refreshing. Every Jew in the audience knew he was talking about the Messianic kingdom. And, and so we're going to stop right there for today. And I'm, going to, I'm just going to ask you to consider something. There should be another elephant in the room. 
there should be another question. There's, there's an obvious question that, 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 that maybe the, the people don't necessarily want to ask or maybe, maybe think about. But when, when, when Peter quotes Acts chapter 2 and says, this is being fulfilled in your very presence today. The Spirit is being poured out. They are speaking in their languages. They are dreaming dreams. They are prophesying. It is being poured out on you right now. It is being fulfilled. The, the, the elephant in the room, what happened to the rest of the prophecy? What happened to it? When did the sun turn dark? When did the moon turn to blood? When did the billows of fire and smoke? When did the great and glorious coming of the Lord and, and this time of this tribulation and God's wrath being poured out before? When did it happen? When did it happen? Well, you have to come back next week. You have to come back next week. And uh, if you can't come back, oh, I'm sorry. If you can't come back next week, we do have, it's, it's on the internet, correct? Podcast. And if you aren't sure how to get the podcast to work, talk to Mr. Podman right here, Gary Hansen. Okay? But uh, we're going to cover this next week. We're going to stop right there. I'm going to break all the rules of homiletics and preaching and teaching. Sorry, Bruce. I'm going to do that. We're going to stop right there because I have to. Okay? Because we're going to have some more music. And uh, that would not be very nice of me to cut into all that this morning. But listen, we're going to hear God's word. But let me just, let me conclude with this. So we're, uh, hold that thought. Come back next week or check your podcast. We're going to come back to this. There is an elephant in the room. The question needs to be asked. What happened to the rest of it? Did, did we miss it? Did the whole world miss it and no one took note and recorded it? What happened? But the day of Pentecost, I just think it's, it's interesting today as I consider this, that the day of Pentecost, as our choir shares this music with us today, and we come to celebrate today. You know, the day of Pentecost was a great day of celebration. There were three holidays in Israel's history given in the Old Testament. You can look this up in Leviticus 23, and you can read it in Deuteronomy chapter 16, two primary places. Deuteronomy 16, Leviticus chapter 23, there are three holidays. Passover, the fall feast of booths, and Pentecost, where every Jewish male, if at all possible, was supposed to make a pilgrimage from wherever he lived to Jerusalem. Three times a year. It was a long trip. For, look where the places they came from. It was a long trip. And that is why Oftentimes, when they came for Passover, the Feast of Pentecost is 50 days after the waving of the first sheaf of a barley loaf at Passover. You count seven weeks, 49, on the 50th day, you come together for Pente what became called Pentecost, because in the Greek, in the Greek-speaking Jews, Pentecost means 50, the 50 days. In Hebrew, it's the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Shiva. Seven week and old plural, the Feast of Weeks. It is the Feast of Weeks. But you come to Passover and you got to turn around and come back 50 days later, 40 some days later by the time you finish everything and you have to come back. So many people just stayed in Jerusalem. So when Jesus said, Terry here at Jerusalem, that's what just about everybody else was doing too. Because it was a long way to travel in those days. But the Feast of, of Pentecost 
Let me just read this in closing. I'm just, it, was a, it was a celebration. It was a time of joy. It was a time of, of worship, a time of music. It's, it's the second of the three major festivals. It commemorates agriculturally when the first fruits were harvested and brought in the temple. It was known as Hag Ha Bikarim. And it's customary today even for observant Jews to stay up all night and study the Bible and then pray. And one of the early missionists says this, from the time of the New Testament, At the rise of morning, an official says, Rise, let us go up to Zion, the house of the Lord our God. And an ox walked before them, its horns covered with gold, and with an olive crown on its head. The halil, the flute, was played before them till they reached Jerusalem. And the important officials went out to meet them, and the tradesmen came out. Then they said, O oh, brothers, you have come in feast and the fl- uh, peace. And the flute was played till they reached the temple. Even King Agrippus, King Agrippus, New Testament, took the basket on his shoulder and carried it till he reached the courtyard. And when the pilgrims reached the courtyard, the Levites sang, I will exalt you, O God, for you have saved me, and you have not rejoiced my enemies over me. And they go on, and there's a whole liturgy they go through. And finally, and God brought us to this place, and God gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the land that you have given to me, O God. It was a celebration of rejoicing, of harvest, of thank. It's really Thanksgiving for them, a time of blessing. And they, and they dressed up the ox with olive oil and gold and the olive wreath, and they played the flute, and they came and they sang, and even today in Jewish homes and in synagogues observant, they will, they will fill the house with greenery and flowers. It's a celebration in worship, and isn't it wonderful? It was on Pentecost Sunday that they gathered, and this fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, and I, I do close with this. The most interesting thing is that by the first century, during the time of the exile in Babylon, a very strong tradition arose that is still practiced today and held by the rabbis. And it came from, it, during the time of Christ, uh, Longnecker and others will, will note this in their commentaries, the Feast of Pentecost became associated with and understood to be the day to celebrate the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. It was the Feast of the Giving of Torah to Israel. That's not mentioned in the Old Testament. But that is the understanding in the first century and today. A feast of celebration. And so we've come once more, first day of the week, Sunday morning, to celebrate, to worship, to rejoice, because we have such a wonderful God who has saved us. Amen? Amen. And blessed us. Amen? Amen? And provided for us. Amen? Amen? Choir, share music with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, your love for us. I just thank you, Lord, for uh, the the ministry that uh, individuals in our church uh, are called to and that share. And thank you for the ministry of music. Thank you for the gift of music. Thank you for voices to lift, to sing, and worship, and praise, and we reach across the century and join the hosts of God's people uh, way back in the Old Testament through the New Testament times, the church around the world today, we lift our voices and praise and worship because you are such a good God. You are our God, our Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. And so we leave this place rejoicing and singing in our hearts and making melody.
through the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.